0: Welcome back to the Bulletproof Fantasy Football Podcast. I'm your host, Drew Rosenchuck, and you can follow me on Twitter at DFBeanCounter. A couple years ago, I was telling the Arizona Cardinals, you gotta punt Josh Rosen and select Kyler Murray because Josh Rosen was terrible and Kyler Murray was awesome. Then I told the Washington football team, you gotta discard. Like, just toss Dwayne Haskins aside and select Tua Tonga Veloa because Dwayne Haskins is terrible. And now I'm telling the Miami Dolphins, you gotta hang on to Tua, man. Let's dive in. To start with, Tua Tonga Veloa was pretty good prospect his his college qbr was in the 98th percentile according to PlayerProfiler.com. that's obviously incredible his college yards per attempt was 97th percentile that is also incredible his breakout age was 20.5 that's 58th percentile that's not so bad it's kind of what we expect for quarterbacks He was a 22-year-old rookie. And the most important input that I use when I'm prospecting quarterbacks is called QBase, And it's from Football Outsiders. And if you haven't checked it out, you really got it. Tuatongweilua's QBase was 653, which eclipsed the threshold that I use. He wasn't a world beater, but he was good enough. And that's what matters. I use it as a threshold. I don't use it linear. I don't use it like a linear thing. The The higher, the better isn't necessarily the case for me. I believe that's how they intend to use it. But I have found that it's more of a threshold thing. Tua hits the threshold and then I use um I'm starting to use I haven't we don't have enough data on it yet to use it but at PFF age adjusted PFF grades for quarterbacks seems pretty promising to me and his age 20 PFF grade was 90.8 that's seventh out of 30 quarterbacks taken in the first round so he's pretty damn good from a PFF grade perspective and then his age 21 season was uh, 90.3 so basically the same consistently consistent excellence that's the idea right so all this rolls together makes him a bulletproof prospect he is a really good prospect that's why the Washington football team should have taken him then we get to the NFL and it is a sequence of unusual events like just weird things happening right first of all Fitz starts not unsurprising Tua tonga Beloa had a possible career threatening injury back in college and he was still recovering so it's not that unusual for Ryan Fitzpatrick to start I don't think for the veteran quarterback to start but then what gets weird is coming off the bye they just, they're just like yeah Ryan Fitzpatrick you're playing, playing the best football of your life tell you what go find a seat on the bench Tua's in they put Tua in as the starter in a playoff hunt. Like it wasn't like they're out of the out of contention. It's just like, ah, let's see what the kids got. They're in the playoff hunt. They put Tua in. That is weird. That shouldn't happen. And then the, the opposite of this happens. And they keep pulling Tua every time they get down in a game. They're like, Fitz, get in here. We need you. Save the game. We need a miracle. Ryan Fitzpatrick is that guy. Like if I need a miracle... I'm going to Ryan Fitzpatrick. The dude can make things happen. He's just not very good over long periods of time. But, anyways, so like just strange things happening. And then the weird thing, not necessarily weird, should be expected after the game. Every time they pull two after the game, the media is all over the coaches, right? They're like, hey, we're like two, two out now. Fitz is back in. Go win some games, make the playoffs. Like, no. Two was the two was the quarterback. They're not doing that like BS thing where they're like, oh, I need to watch the tape, reevaluate things, get back to you next week. We haven't announced it. It's not what they did. They were like, no, Tua Tonga Villoux is a starter, period. We're It's not for discussion. Two is a starter. Boom. Let's go. So, and, and now we have just everyone overreacting to this phenomenon. I get it. It's weird. We don't usually see a rookie get pulled when he's not playing well. Stranger yet, we don't see a rookie get put into the lineup in the first place. When the team's in a playoff hunt and the veteran is playing well. And then when the veteran comes in and plays well, they don't usually go back to the rookie. Unless, of course, they actually think the rookie is good or going to be good. So let's move into Tua's on-field play. How did Tua play when he was on the field? Well, there's a rumor going around that Tua has, uh, what what was it? Elite accuracy and throws with anticipation. And that rumor is coming from Ryan Fitzpatrick. And that's exactly what it played out as this year in the NFL. Tuatonga Veloa had a 7.9 accuracy rating from playerprofile.com. That is number two in the world. That's really good. He's a rookie and he's number two in the world in accuracy. When now you're thinking, well, of course he was because he does not throw the ball down the field. It's really easy to throw an accurate pass to the running back or the receiver that's two yards down the field. Here's the thing. Tuatonga Viloa was number 17 in the NFL in air yards per attempt with 7.9. He wasn't a check down charlie. That came from one game that people watched where Tua was just dumping it off repeatedly, but outside of that game, obviously, across his entire season, he was number 17 in the NFL. Here's the weird thing. Ryan Fitzpatrick, the guy that everyone is juxtaposing because they're comparing what Tua did with what Fitzpatrick did, he had an 8.1, number 14 in the NFL per attempt. They basically did the same thing. The difference, of course, is that Tua Tonge baloa isn't as good as Ryan Fitzpatrick is right now, but... There's a tweet from uh, Computer Cowboy at ben, ben B. Baldwin on Twitter. And he says, this is back in December, December 30th, QBs with a higher grade than Tua Tunga Biloa. I don't know the context behind this, so I don't know if that's PFF grade or or like passer grade or what, what grade he's talking about. But he has Mike Glennon, Bren, Brandon Allen, Nick Foles, Gardner Minshew, Andy Dalton, Ryan Fitzpatrick, Daniel Jones, a bunch of obviously terrible quarterbacks. Here's the thing. We can't compare rookie quarterbacks to NFLers because it's silly. Quarterback, Takes time. I'm the first guy to tell you, you got to punt players that aren't performing. That's not Tuatonga Vilua. We need to compare apples to apples. We need to compare rookie quarterbacks to other rookie quarterbacks. Unfortunately for Tuatonga Vilua, he came out into a class with Justin Herbert and Joe Burrow, who are both incredible. So it makes him look really bad. Luckily for us, we have an entire history of rookie quarterback performances that we can compare it to a Tonga Veloa to. So we are comparing apples to apples. This is what we get. I'm using, I don't have, I haven't, how's, how do I phrase this? I haven't like perfected this process yet, which is why I'm not like rolling it out full scale. Here's what we're doing. I'm working on it, playing around with it, seeing what we can turn up. Here's what I found so far. Offensive grades from PFF and passer rating from PFF have pretty good correlation. It's not like perfect by any stretch, but it's pretty good. It gives us an idea of, of who is going to be good and who isn't going to be good in the NFL. And when we compare them as rookies, that's where we compare apples to apples. So with Tua Tagovailoa, the first thing I did was just flipped on offensive grade. And one of the things that really like a pet peeve of mine is when I see these analysts or, or just fans. And they'll put like a list of, you know, everybody with 900 or more receiving yards. And then it's or more. So it's 900 receiving yards to 3,000 rookie year receiving yards. So it's comparing like somebody who had like 900 yards to you know somebody that had 1800 yards as a rookie it's it's not the same thing you don't compare the bottom to the top that's not the way you should do it you pick a range and you go a little above and a little below with quarterbacks it's a lot harder because we have a lot less of them and I'm not going to compare first round quarterbacks to you know Gardner Minshew because Gardner Minshew doesn't fit he doesn't come from the same starting point so this is looking at only offensive grade I went a little bit above his grade because we need a decent range and quite a bit below his grade. And we get, uh, what do we get here? We got 17 quarterbacks that are comparable. Those quarterbacks are Cam Newton, Andrew Luck, Josh Allen, Kyler Murray, Lamar Jackson, Jameis Winston, Ryan Tannehill, Carson Wentz, Joe Flacco, Marcus Mariota. And then those are the hits. And then we have Dwayne Haskins, Mitch Trubisky, Daniel Jones, Sam Bradford, Sam Darnold, Jake Locker, and Matt Liner. So it's a hit and miss crew, right? It's 10 out of, 50, 10 out of 17 have hit A quarterback one season, that's a 59% hit rate. That's not so bad. That's not so bad. And that's not filtering for prospect quality. We are comparing (laughs) to a very good prospect to a bunch of guys that never had a chance, quite frankly. The second thing I said I look at is QB rating according to PFF grade. Again, we go a little above and a little below and quite a bit below. And it spits out some more comps. And we left on the offensive grade. So we're filtering for offensive grade and QB rating. And it gets our list down. Now we're looking at Cam Newton, Kyler Murray, Lamar Jackson, Jamise Winston, Carson Wentz, Joe Flacco, Marcus Mariota are the hits. And then we have the misses are Mitch Trubisky, Daniel Jones, and Sam Darnold. So that is 7 out of 10 have hit a wide receiver one season, 70%. That's pretty good. That's the range that Tuo Tongue Blow is in. And that is before we are... Filtering for prospect grade. Before, we are looking at only good prospects. We we're looking at everyone, no matter how good or bad they are as a prospect. So now, the next thing I look at, and this one I've changed a little bit because it was giving me too few samples, to be honest. So I have flipped it to only bulletproof pl- only bulletproof prospects. So only good prospects coming to the league. I've left on the the high level on the offensive grade and the high level on the QB rating, but I removed the floor. I said the absolute worst Bulletproof prospects I don't care who they are How do they perform And what can we expect From Tuatunga Valoa Here is the list Cam Newton Matt Stafford Andrew Luck Kyler Murray Lamar Jackson Jared Goff Marcus Mariota You want to know the hit rate? 7 out of 7 Have hit a top 12 season 100% of these players That played no better Than Tuatunga Valoa Hit a top twelve season, one hundred percent. Six of seven of those guys have hit twice so far. The only one that hasn't is Marcus Mariota. Marcus Mariota looked pretty good in his half game last year. Just saying, he would look pretty bad in Tennessee last year or two years ago. I'll be honest. I'll be honest. He didn't look very good. Anyways, we got six out of seven having at least two top twelve seasons. That's eighty six percent. Three of those seven guys have five or more top twelve seasons so far. That's a forty three percent rate of five five or more top 12 seasons that is crazy so my question for you is why in the hell are you fading to a tongue of so now we're gonna talk james robinson he is one of the most difficult players to value right now because there's so much uncertainty because he was terrific as a rookie but unfortunately he was also an undrafted free agent and that leaves a ton of uncertainty so let's figure out what to do with James Robinson. First off, I just want to point out where I'm coming from on James Robinson. I was an early adopter on May 4th, 2020. I gave the patrons is at 1230 AM because I do most of my stuff in the middle of the night. I said to the patrons, got the receipts to prove it. You got to go get, uh," I said, for what it's worth, I think I'll snag a bit of Darnell Mooney. And here are a couple of guys I'm targeting on waivers. James Robinson was one of them. Steven Sullivan was one of them. And John Hightower was one of them. So it was Mooney, uh, Robinson, Sullivan, and Hightower. Those are the four guys I suggested to go and get on waivers. These guys were not part of ADP. So back in May, I was saying go get James Robinson. And here we are. Now I'm going to tell you, well, let's go through it. He had 1,070 rushing yards, 344 receiving yards, 10 total touchdowns. The dude was a beast. He finished wide receiver five overall with 17.7 points per game. Uh, among 2020 running backs, he was second in rush yards with 1,070 to Jonathan Taylor's 1,169. Jonathan Taylor was a very good prospect. He was bulletproof. He wasn't generational, but he was bulletproof. And that counts for something. So James Robinson, very, very good. 72.9 offensive grade up wasn't quite as impressive as RB4. In the 2020 class. In terms of offensive grade from PFF. So eh, that's fine. Wasn't great. It wasn't bad. When you look at the average defenders he faced in the box. This is where it kind of gets a little bit scary. He faced 6.7 defenders in the box. It's number 41 in the NFL. That's not a lot. That's a pretty light defensive workload that he had. That's a pretty light defense he has to battle through. His workload was not difficult. Not difficult. But he did create 1.46 yards per touch. So that's. Once you factor out the offensive line, you're looking at only the yards the running back created. This is from playerprofiler.com. James Robinson had 1.46 yards created per touch, number 17 in the NFL. That's pretty good. It's not elite, but it's pretty good. His juke rate, so evaded tackles plus broke tackles, was 27.3%, number 13 in the NFL. Very good. And then, so like we've established he was a good player. Like everybody knows that he was a good rookie. But what happens when you have no draft capital or very little draft capital and you're a good rookie well i looked at the and i looked at all of the running backs drafted rounds four through seven and the undrafted players i sorted by rush yards so rookie year rush yards who had the most rookie year rush yards and what did their careers turn out to be the cutoff i used was 800 rush yards thomas rawls hit it with 830 and he had zero top 12 seasons ryan grant hit 956 he had one top 12 season Zach Stacy had 976 and he never went on to a single top 12 season LeGarrette Blount had 1007 rushing yards he did have one top 12 season that came years later when he was a New England Patriot and he had like 18 touchdowns it was a really weird year that's a tough one to duplicate <laughs> Philip Lindsay is probably the most recent example of this he was a undrafted free agent just like James Robinson he came in and put up 1037 rushing yards Keep in mind, James Robinson had 1,070 rushing yards. Do you see where I'm going with this? J- Philip Lindsay is nothing. He didn't do anything. We do not have a top 12 season from Philip Lindsay. I suspect we're not going to get one. There are some differences in Philip Lindsay and James Robinson's profiles, obviously, but from a production standpoint, they were very, very similar. And then we have James Robinson with one thousand seventy. And then the guys that were better than James Robinson, the guys that produced more yardage than James Robinson, we have Jordan Howard, who actually did have two top twelve seasons. One of them was his rookie year, and then he repeated in the top twelve, I believe, in his sophomore year. He had a thousand thirty, one thousand three hundred thirteen rushing yards as a fr- or as a rookie. That's pretty good. But then he only did it one more time, so that's not as good. And then the like best unheralded rookie running back of all time is alfred morris with 1613 i shouldn't say of all time this is what's in my database 1613 rushing yards that's a really good season but like leads the league almost every year he was a sixth round pick he went on to have and make no mistake that was a top 12 season he went on to have absolutely zero more top 12 seasons and there was no indication that that would be the case. Alfred Morris had a PFF grade of like 91. It was absurd how good Alfred Morris was as a freshman to never do anything again. That's crazy. There, there's no way that you would have ever expected to fade Alfred Morris. And yet the smart money was to fade Alfred Morris. You should have been fading Alfred Morris, just like you should be fading James Robinson because we don't see these guys last. Like maybe James Robinson has a Jordan Howard career and gets one more top 12 season, but I doubt it, but maybe could happen you never know so now we're looking at james robinson like yeah he survived free agency Woo. I, like i was telling the patrons you gotta you gotta trade james robinson before free agency any of these guys that might get nuked you just gotta get rid of them because you never know and now we have the draft looming james robinson survived free agency but now we have to deal with the draft and luckily this is a weak draft so i doubt there's anyone that's gonna come in and just push him aside unless unless they go crazy and like draft a you know one of the big three running backs but i i don't hope that doesn't happen you never know the problem here is he doesn't need a big marquee addition to just not make him very relevant anymore to take away his rb1 upside he doesn't need a premier edition he just needs pretty much anyone so what can you get for james robinson i'm i am fully in sell james robinson mode and i get that he was good and i get that he might be good again and i i understand that but where he and if he was you know being valued really lowly that'd be like hey let's go buy james robinson like the upside is sky high but the problem is he's not you can get a 106 107 draft pick in a super flex league for james robinson right now that's a jamar chase or one of the big four quarterbacks like we're talking about premier players with elite draft capital that have maximum staying potential, maximum future seasons, not just maybe hopefully one like James Robinson might provide. That's from Dynasty League Football Trade Analyzer. Then they have the suggested players function. Here are the players they suggest that you could potentially trade James Robinson for straight up, or maybe you add a little bit to James Robinson to get any of these players. Trey Lance, I take Trey Lance in a heartbeat. DJ Moore, not even close, way on the DJ Moore side. Terry McLaurin, I'll take Terry. Aaron Jones, well, Aaron Jones is probably going to be an RB1 this year. Like I feel confident that Aaron Jones is going to have an RB1 season. So if my choice is the guy I hope can have another RB1 season, or the guy I think will have an RB1 season... I'm taking Aaron Jones. I'm treating James Robinson like he has one season left. I'm treating him like he's a 27-year-old running back. That's how I'm viewing James Robinson. You get Tua Tonga Valoa. I like Tua. We just talked about Tua. Give me Tua. You get Ryan Tannehill. If Ryan Tannehill continues to play the way that he does, he's going to continue being a very, very good asset for you. I'm not sure that he will, but I think that what might happen is the efficiency gets knocked down and hopefully the pass attempts go up to offset it. We'll see. But I would take Ryan Tannehill. Ezekiel Elliott, yeah, of course. He's probably got maybe two, maybe three more RB1 seasons. Ezekiel Elliott has been phenomenal in the NFL. And then we have Clyde Edwards-Hilaire. Last year, everyone's out over their skis with Clyde Edwards-Hilaire being the best thing that ever hit fantasy. He's, He's the sliced bread of fantasy. He, he obviously wasn't, and that was a mistake by everyone. Uh, he was my RB5. I, I I moved him up a lot based on landing at KC, but I couldn't put him ahead of good players. Like He just can't bump a bad player ahead of good players just because of his landing spot. It doesn't work that way for me. I, I bet on talent first and then the landing spot accentuates the talent or it holds it back. Those are the options. Anyways, Clyde edwards is potentially available straight up for James Robinson. And I do that too. Give me, G, give me Clyde. He was a first round pick at the very least, which means he has an opportunity to hit. No matter how bad his profile was, he's still a first round pick. He's still playing with Patrick Mahomes. He's still got Andy Reid as his coach. All the reasons that everyone just... Took him to the moon last year after the NFL draft, they're still there. Those reasons are still there. And last year, one of the reasons I was hesitant right off the NFL draft is because I thought that Damian Williams might still have a part of the offense. He's gone. He's gone. So there is more reason to like Clyde Edwards-Hilaire at this point. And Clyde Edwards-Hilaire was actually pretty good last year. He was a lot better than I expected. I don't know that he's going to be a long-term, you know, hold off everyone. He's a, a bona fide bell cow running back for the long term. I don't know that we're there, but I got a lot more faith in him than I do James Robinson right now. So that's the kind of price range that we're talking with James Robinson in. If we were talking with James Robinson, you know, a little lower, then okay, maybe. Maybe we hang on to James Robinson. But in this caliber of player, it's easily easily sell james robinson so jamar chase just had his pro day and jamar chase i've been saying he's you know the best prospect since julio jones i've been saying that for over a year for a year now basically and i just want to dive into his prospect profile now because we basically have everything we need to know except for draft capital so he is six foot 202 pounds he is alpha sized we know that definitively at this point he's an alpha He's an early declare, and he's a 21-year-old rookie. He does he's everything that we want on that aspect of things. His breakout age is 19.5. He broke out as a fresh or as a sophomore, pardon me. That's 78th percentile breakout age per player profiler.com. And then he dominated. Like he is his yards per team pass attempt, uh age adjusted, yards per team pass attempt. At age 18, it wasn't that good. He, he was below the regression line. Above, at 19, he was well above the regression line, which is what we like to see. You want to see that huge sophomore breakout. And then from a market share perspective, uh, you know, 18, he he wasn't quite there. 19, though, he was, again, above the regression line. But what's really special about that, what's really special about his college production is that he played with Justin Jefferson. And Justin Jefferson, if you recall, just had one of the best wide receiver rookie seasons we've ever seen. He put up 1,400 yards in a low-volume passing offense alongside Adam Thielen. It's not like he had the offense to himself like Terry McLaurin did a couple years ago. This was a player that just said, I'm the best player on the team. Give me the ball. Let's go. And just Jamar Chase outproduced Justin Jefferson while Justin Jefferson was a year older. Keep that in mind. Justin Jefferson is a year older than Jamar Chase. Jamar Chase outproduced him. When we're talking about like uh, the of property here, <laughs> Jamar Chase has an incredible production profile and then his pro day was today and this is what we were waiting for because i use relative athletic score this is a uh, a metric that is done by math Mom on twitter and he's, he's got a whole website it's really great you can pull up whomever you want but anyways i use relative athletic score in certain circumstance at the wide receiver position and we're going to talk about why jamar chase qualifies for this he had a 9.89 unofficial Raz score, relative athletic score. This factors in his, you know, 40 time, his 20 yard split, his 10 yard split, his shuttle, his three cone, his vertical jump, his broad jump, his height, his weight, his bench. It factors all of it in. And Jamar Chase smashed it. He was in the elite range. Now, like I said, I only use Raz score in certain circumstances. I have two tiers above Bulletproof there's the generational tier and the transcendent tier and the generational tier what we're looking at are bulletproof wide receivers drafted in the first round with elite athleticism it's kind of it's getting pretty choppy these are small samples and you know statistically this doesn't really make sense but what I'm trying to do here is separate the really good players from the great players that's the goal here and when I do that for what the players that I get here are Odell Beckham Jr dj moore brandon cooks justin jefferson and des bryant that's a pretty good group those guys are all perennial wide receiver ones the generational hit rate for top 12 seasons is five out of five 100 if i'm only looking at the bulletproof alphas these are the guys that we usually chase the bulletproof alphas are the guys we usually chase their top 12 hit rate is still only 11 out of 21 that's 52 percent. it isn't great It's, well, I mean, it's great compared to every other category, but it's not great compared to these generational transcendent hit rates. Like when we, when we're talking with these players, like Odell Beckham Jr. has been in the league, what, seven years now? I think he's missed a couple seasons due to injury. He had that one real bad season his first year in Cleveland. He still has three top 12 finishes. He has two top five finishes. DJ Moore has been in the league for three years. He has a top 12 finish. He has two top 24 finishes. Brandon Cook's been in the year since been in the league as long as Odell Beckham Jr. But Brandon Cooks is a beta. Let's not forget, Brandon Cooks is a beta. So he 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 has been true to his profile. He is a secondary option on his team. He's not the focal point that's out there getting, you know, 30% of the targets. He's getting, you know, 20, low 20%. He's a beta. He's a, he's a great beta. He's the best beta we've ever seen. But he's a beta. So he, he's got a couple top 12 finishes and a couple more just outside the top 12. Justin Jefferson, we just talked about, he already has a top 12 finish in his first season. And Des Bryant... Was dominant for a few years. He has two top five finishes and three top twelve finishes. These guys are perennial wide receiver ones. That's what we want. Those are difference makers in fantasy football. And then I have another tier, and it's called transcendent tier. And this tier is a little different. These guys don't have to be bulletproof because when I look at hit rates by bucket, and I just bucket the the hit rate for draft capital, right? Like top five picks, six to ten, or six, yeah, six to ten, eleven to fifteen. 16 to 20 so on and so forth as i go through the entire first round there is no difference in hit rate from 6 to 32 it's the same there's no change i mean based on the profile like what we would expect a bulletproof player to hit they hit the same throughout what we expect a coin flip player to hit they hit the same throughout so on and so forth when we get to the top five picks it's different when we get to the top five picks it's different we have players that do not check every box as they normally do they hit anyway Because they're that good. Like they're just that good. When you're picking, when the NFL is picking a player in the top five, they are incredible talents, right? Like they're probably a top two or three skill or top two or three non quarterback in their class at the worst. So in this group, we have Andre Johnson in 2003. Braylon Edwards in 2005, Calvin Johnson in 2007, AJ Green and Julio Jones in 2011. I made an exception for Julio Jones. Forgive me, but he got drafted the same year as AJ Green, who went fourth overall. I have a feeling, a pretty strong one, that at the time, if AJ Green wasn't in that class, the Bengals would have taken Julio Jones. That's my assumption. I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong. It doesn't really matter. I use top five picks as my, as my threshold because that's where it seems to matter. There's really only like one sixth overall pick. So it's kind of weird to just say, oh, it's six because Julio Jones. Anyways, what I'm trying to say is when we're looking at these players, the transcendent players, we are talking about guys who are always in the top 12, like always Julio Jones has seven top 12 seasons. Andre Johnson has six. Calvin Johnson has five. He retired early. He was, you know, it took him a couple of years to get going, like it does most wide receivers. AJ Green has four. Braylon Edwards is the only one. He only has one. He had <laughs> Braylon Edwards is like the the epitome of a one hit wonder. He had one top five season. He had one top twenty four season. He only ever did anything one time. But when he did, it was great. So these guys are transcendent. And I feel like I've been underselling Jamar Chase because I've been saying he is the best wide receiver. Since Julio Jones, I've been saying it for a year now. I've had him in my Debbie rankings as the best wide receiver since Julio Jones. 2011 is the last time we've seen a transcendent greater wide receiver. AJ Green and Julio Jones... We're in that class. AJ Green was a 23-year-old. Julio was a 22-year-old. We know across the whole population that that is worse than a 21-year-old. We want 21-year-olds. Andre Johnson was a 22-year-old. Braylon Edwards, the one-hit wonder of the group, he was a 22-year-old. And he didn't break out or, or he didn't declare early. He was a senior. So, of course, he wasn't as good. Cue the Devonta Smith thing here. Like, seniors aren't as good as juniors. I'm sorry. I don't care why they stayed in school. I don't care what their draft capital is when they come out. I don't care what they did as a senior. It doesn't matter. What matters is early declare. I mean, forgive me. It does matter to some extent, but it doesn't matter. And then we have Calvin Johnson, who is literally the best prospect we've seen since 2003. Jamar Chase, his profile fits in right underneath Calvin Johnson. He is in a tier of his own in my rankings. So the the rankings are on Bulletproof, uh, Patreon.com slash BulletproofFF. Go there, check them out. They're... I, i'm proud of him i have him ranked as the wide receiver eight in dynasty right now i've had him ranked as the wide receiver eight in dynasty since i rolled the rookies into my dynasty rankings he has been my receiver eight i'm not moving him we'll see what happens once the landing spot happens in draft capital because that can still change things but right now i'm expecting him to be the wide receiver eight in my dynasty rankings in my rookie rankings super flex rookie rankings he is firmly my 102 after trevor lawrence in my 1QB rankings, he is firmly my 101. In my Superflex 2 tight end rankings, he is firmly my 102 after Trevor Lawrence. There are no contenders for wide receiver 1. It is Jamar Chase and it is no one else. There is absolutely no conversation to be had whether or not there is another wide receiver in this class that belongs in his year. There is not. There is no one that does stop kidding yourself it's jamar chase and it's no one else and it's jamar chase and it's no one else all the way back to 2007 when calvin johnson came out it's jamar chase best wide receiver in 14 years is that 14 years and then i get rb first like i understand i'm the guy who's out here telling you you need good rbs last year i was telling you to draft all the running back all the good running backs until you draft Clyder slayer but i told you to draft all the other ones they're all bulletproof this year i don't care what the running backs are even if they were good i'm still taking jamar chase Jamar Chase is a different breed of wide receiver. He is going to break fantasy football from the wide receiver position. The running backs might last year. This year, ain't none of them got a chance to be a Jamar Chase level talent in fantasy football. They are not going to matter as much as Jamar Chase does. None of them. I don't care if your team is stacked at wide receiver. You package up some other wide receivers and go buy some other the running backs. You take Jamar Chase if you have the chance. And Kyle Pitts, I understand that Kyle Pitts may be the best tight end we've ever seen. I get it. But here's the thing. I don't have a way to tell you that Kyle Pitts is the best tight end we've ever seen. The only use film grades, he got the same grade as Hunter Henry and OJ Howard. That ain't telling us a lot. If you want to use analytics, yeah, he looks good. But I don't have a way analytically to tell you that he's better than any other bulletproof tight end we've seen. He doesn't look any better than Noah Fant. And Noah Fant is going for less. And Noah Fant has already shown us that he has been one of the best age-adjusted tight ends in NFL history. Well, maybe not history, but back to 2003, because that's where my data starts. I understand the appeal to Kyle Kyle Pitts, but he's still a tight end. Jamar Chase is a wide receiver. He's the wide receiver one. If you're not moving everything that you can to move up and get Jamar Chase in your rookie draft, you have done your dynasty squad a tremendous disservice.